Welcome to Question Period. I'm Evan Solomon. Today on the program, Western Showdown. We Albertans have said, overwhelmingly, that we, th we know that the unequalization program is unfair to this province. Alberta Premier Jason Kenney threatens to reopen the Constitution if Justin Trudeau doesn't give Alberta a new financial deal. Is this fair to other provinces? And how will the new Liberal government deal with more muscular prairie alienation? Alberta Premier Jason Kenney is here with the latest, and then MPs weigh in on the best way for Trudeau to win over the West. Then, sheer cliff. He wasn't able to deftly uh, deal with those issues when, when the opportunities arose. Peter McKay unloads on Conservative leader Andrew Scheer's election performance and his views on same-sex marriage. Is Peter McKay gunning to replace Andrew Scheer? And can Mr. Scheer survive a mandatory leadership review as more voices call for his removal? Former Communications Director to Stephen Harper, Corey Tonight, and Conservative strategist Jason Leader join us to weigh in on that. And then, values test. I think it's important before deciding and coming to Quebec, to know that uh, if you expect to be in a job in a, in a position of authority, you will not have the right to wear religious uh, signs. Quebec forces new immigrants to pass a values test starting January 1st. Is this a thinly disguised way to target minority groups? Will other provinces follow? Quebec MA Christopher Skeet joins the Scrum to explain the government's decision. This is Question Period. Let's go get some answers. It's been another devastating blow to the oil patch after years of low oil prices and economic uncertainty. Energy giant Encana is moving its headquarters to the United States, though the CEO claims that politics here in Canada did not affect the decision. But all this comes at a time when prairie alienation is growing over frustration about pipelines. The Alberta Premier is now threatening to rip up equalization formula and hold a referendum if the federal government doesn't change the environmental regulation rules and get the Trans Mountain Pipeline built. So, how deep is the anger? Is there anything the federal government could do to help? Let's find out. Joining me now is the Alberta Premier, Jason Kenney. Premier Kenny, always a pleasure to have you on the program, and I know and I appreciate there are very difficult times in Alberta, and I want to start uh, with Encana. You have blamed the federal government for Encana moving their headquarters to the United States, but you've got a CEO there, the American CEO of Encana, who said politics had uh, no bearing on this, their stock has been in the tank since 2009. Why is this the federal government's problem and not the management of the Encana? Two points. He, first of all, he said they're moving to the states to get better access to equity markets. Well, that reflects years of the U.S. energy industry stocks outperforming the Canadian energy industry. And why? Because we can't get pipelines built. We can't get market access in a fair global price. Let me quote uh, Gwyn Morgan, who founded the company in Canada, said that the destructive policies of the Trudeau Liberals have left the company with no choice but to shift its asset base and capital programs south of the border. Now the Trudeau government's re-election strikes the final blow, quote unquote. And this is in the context of 10 Tens of billions of dollars of capital that has shifted from the Canadian energy industry to the U.S. energy industry and with it jobs, equipment, 
and 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 hundreds of businesses. So it's not just about in Canada. It, it, Canada, it's part of a large but, larger trend. Trudeau's cancellation of Northern Gateway, killing Energy East, bungling Trans Mountain, the no more pipelines law, C C forty eight. Him saying he wants to phase out the oil sands, campaigning against Alberta energy producers. All of that are part of the. Oh, okay, but let's get here. some responsibility. You got an American CEO who's pulling down almost sixteen million dollars a year can't get the stock going. And if you compare Encana's stock to other, over that period of time to, I don't know, Suncor. Suncor's gone up. They've done well. They've all been hit by the, the collapse of sure. the oil price. Many of them have gone up. You know who's the worst performing of the big energy companies? Encana. So are they trying to blame the Liberal government for their own corporate failings? Well, look, it's true. They were heavily leveraged in gas and the huge development in U.S. shale gas meant that prices crashed to the floor a, te a decade ago. And you know what? Uh, Encana's uh, shares went down by 10% after they announced this decision. So Mr. Uh, Suttles is not getting hit the big, it uh, doesn't look like he's going to get the big payout he hoped from this move. I hope the shareholders will take a second look at this because they're not getting the response they thought they would from the markets. But we're doing everything we can to make Alberta more competitive to reverse the southward flow of capital. That's why we're reducing our business taxes and our red tape by a third because uh, the Americans have been cutting their, 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 uh, their business tax rates. So in Canada aside, we need to be competitive to keep these job creators in Canada. All right. Uh, in Premier, Canada. Let, let, let me get at another thing that you've talked about, which is you will hold a referendum on equalization if there's no movement on the Trans Mountain Pipeline and they don't change the equalization form of the federal government. But let me just start on pipelines. You know what the Liberals are saying to you, and I want your response. Hey, we spent $4.5 billion buying a pipeline that we promised we want to build, and we, it cost us a lot of uh, political capital among progressives. We want to build this pipeline. Why aren't they your ally on this? Well, listen, we, I've said to the Prime Minister the day after the election that uh, one of the, the immediate things he could do to address the deep frustration in Alberta and Western Canada, uh, the prairies in particular, would be to guarantee the completion of Trans Mountain. Now, uh, you know, Evan, that this is in the context of killing Energy East and Northern Gateway, surrendering to Obama's veto on Keystone and passing the No More Pipelines law, and frankly, creating such uncertainty that Kinder Morgan dropped that project. So we, uh, we hope that the Prime Minister doesn't throw our economy under the bus in a coalition agreement with the Bloc and NDP uh, by suspending or killing Trans Mountain. It has to get done. But they're not. It's not but just I mean, about Alberta. It's I, about I, national prosperity. I get it. But they've said there's no co I mean, you use the word coalition. Trudeau says there's going to be no coalition. They're going to govern on an ad hoc basis. I'm trying to figure out, you know, you've been a federal politician, and some people say you're stoking separatism with kind of reckless conversations. For example, holding a referendum on equalization. You know, and it's been pointed out, when you were in government in 2009, the Harper government redid the equalization formula. The very same formula that you say is unfair to Alberta, your government created. Isn't that kind of ironic that you don't like the formula you created? Why not? What's the problem with equalization? Well, fair question. Here's, the, here's what's different from a decade ago. We are now through, at that time, Alberta was in a sustained economic boom. Quebec, for example, by far the largest equalization recipient at $13 billion a year, now was in a sustained period of economic stagnation. We had large surpluses. 
Quebec had big uh, deficits. The opposite is true now. Uh, our economy today in Alberta is smaller than it was five years ago. Family incomes are smaller, record bankruptcies, and we are effectively subsidizing public services in other parts of the country. Uh, we are making a net contribution to the rest of the Federation of $20 billion a year, even while other provinces, and this was not the case a decade ago, Evan, other provinces, including Quebec, are saying that they will not allow us to build pipelines to get a fair price for the energy that pays the bills through equalization. So this idea of a referendum is a, is a way of getting leverage to, to raise our fight for fairness to the top of the national agenda. One right. way the Prime Minister could fix that tomorrow would be to lift the cap on the fiscal stabilization program, which is kind of like an equalization rebate for have provinces, and we'll be, we'll be making a very specific ask to the federal government on that. And you know that to change equalization, it's a constitutional debate. You need seven provinces and 50%, so you, you open up a bit of Pandora's box. But let me just return to that because, look, I am very wary about people pitting Canadians against each other in a, in a federation. We've almost been through a near-death experience in this country. And I'll tell you the other thing, I know anytime someone in the East talks to the West, something's lost in translation. And, and so I, I try, I want to get the facts here without the emotion on this. It has been pointed out to me a number of times, as you know, based on this, even with the real and genuine hurt that's going on in the Alberta economy, you still have median after-tax income for families, according to Stats Canada, is the highest where in Alberta. Many people say there's no sales tax in Alberta and it's the lowest tax rate. And they say, look, because of those things, though Alberta's hurting and it's very real, there have been reasons why it's still a great place to live. They have low tax, maybe a sales tax could help on the services. What do you say to those folks who criticize Alberta for not preparing for this rainy day by living like that? Uh, well, it looks, look, uh, you're, you're right. Alberta continues to have a lot of uh, uh, opportunities and advantages. And, and we, we have, but in that context, we've contributed massively $600 billion net to the rest of the Federation. We had an M, uh, NDP member, Don Davies, attacking us for not having a $1 trillion style Norwegian sovereign fund from our energy wealth. The truth is we contributed $600 billion over the same period to the rest of Canada to build schools and hospitals and subsidize public services. What we're saying is now our ability to do that is increasingly constrained, including by governments that say we should not be able to develop the resources to get a fair price. All right, got to leave it there. Thank you to Premier Jason Kenney. Enjoyed having you on the program. But coming up, should he stay or should he go? Andrew Shear's leadership is under fire by heavyweights like Peter McKay, as we've just talked about. Can he survive a leadership review? Stephen Harper's former director of communication, Corey tonight, and Jason Leader join us next. Stay right here with Question Period. People did not want to talk about women's reproductive rights. They didn't want to talk about revisiting the issue of same-sex marriage. And yet that was thrust onto the agenda. Uh, and hung around Andrew Shear's neck like a, a stinking albatross. Well, Halloween may be over, but there are plenty of jump scares left for Conservative leader Andrew Shear, especially from the ghosts of leaders past, like Peter McKay, who stunningly described Andrew Shear's election performance as a hockey player who missed a breakaway goal on an open net. He's not the only Conservative who clearly thinks Mr. Shear blew it. Uh, Mr. Shear did win more seats than in 2015. He did win the popular vote. He did take the Liberal majority to a minority. So why is his leadership in so much trouble? Will he pass the mandatory leadership review in the spring or even a vote about a leadership review at the Conservative caucus meeting? 
on November 6th, which is this week. Joining me now are two conservative strategists who know this stuff well. Corey tonight is a former communications director to Stephen Harper. He's with me in studio. And Jason Leader is a longtime conservative strategist as well, and he is in Toronto. Great to have both of you here. Corey, let me just start with you. Um, did, did Peter McKay, while he was in Washington, basically declare open season on Andrew Scheer's leadership? No, I think he was doing what you're supposed to do after uh, you go through an unsuccessful uh, election campaign, which is to have a full and frank discussion and diagnosis of what went on and, you know, what worked and what didn't. And uh, I think he was sharing his views. I think they're shared by others. But uh, I think he was exercising his franchise to, to say what he thought happened there. Yes, but, he, but, but Jason, when he exercised his franchise, that's a heck of a franchise to exercise. <laughs> uh, his words were pretty poignant. Uh, what do you think he was doing? He's a smart guy. He's been around the block. What, was he essentially saying, look, I'm not going to stab this guy in the front, but if he, if he doesn't make it, here I am. I'm waiting to go. Yeah, he obviously, um, you know, he knew what he was doing there, Evan, and uh, he could have chosen his words very carefully. He did not. I think he, uh, you know, he, he went out, I think, to, to give Peter his due. He went out later that night and sort of said, hey, listen, I, I support Andrew. But uh, yeah, uh, here's the thing. We've got the Conservative Party. And one thing I do d agree with Corey on right there is it's not disloyal to be looking back at the campaign and saying, what can we do better? What could we have done better? I mean, the truth is we had this, we had this big, you know, we had a big product launch. I call it like a $30 million product launch. The Andrew Scheer is now on the market and we did pretty well in the east we did very well in the west and we didn't crunch through in that in that main market in Toronto in the 905 and the 416 and I think it's not it's not disloyal to be saying what can we do better in the in the 905 and I think you know Peter uh, you know that was maybe maybe not the best way to do it but I think but, uh, a lot of us are looking at each other and sort of saying what can we do better how can we punch through yeah well punch through and do better is different than the stinking albatross of uh, <laughs> same-sex marriage issues I mean McKay was pretty harsh let's talk about that because what I've heard it's not just the 905 they the conservatives though they gained seats they lost support in Ontario and Quebec so it's hard to win and a lot of folks pointed out to Mr. Shear's position on LGBTQ issues and same-sex marriage he's then since said I will never march in a gay pride parade what signal is he sending and how serious an issue is that Corey tonight well, I, I, I think it could be a fatal issue. Uh, maybe not in terms of a leadership vote within the Conservative Party, but I think if, in terms of actually uh, being su successful and being elected to, to be the Prime Minister of the country, I think it's, uh, I think it's a deal stopper. Uh, I think there's been a, a sea change in terms of Canadians' views on this, this issue. And I don't think, uh, well, I, I do think it's acceptable to say I'm pro-life, uh, but I am not going to legislate on that. In I other think, words, I the think abortion issue is different than is the, different. the you know, same There are two marriage. issues you kind of got hung up on in that one. I think people will accept that. I don't think that uh, Canadians, uh, in fact, overwhelmingly, Canadians do not accept uh, that, uh, it, it, that you can hold the position that I am not in favor of equal rights uh, uh, for gays and that I th have a moral, personal moral problem with gay marriage. Uh, I think that uh, is viewed increasingly as bigotry. So when Andrew Shear says, don't worry, I can't march, and Stephen Harper never marched, but it's, don't it's worry, about, I'm not going to change it. It's not about it. marching in a parade. It's what not about it? marching in a parade. It, it, it is about uh, whether or not you think uh, homosexuality and gay marriage are a sin, personally, or whether you think that uh, uh, that, uh, you know, it's two 
people who are in love and voluntarily getting into uh, a relationship with each other. You know, to view, to view it as a sin means that you think that uh, being gay is a choice, and I think most people would say it's not. Uh, right. Uh, so I think it's viewed very differently. It's not viewed as a choice. I think it's viewed as uh, something that's... Uh, so Shearer's in trouble. Well, let me just bring in Jason. If she, I mean, Corey's saying this is an issue that he's way offside. He, it's unwinnable. He then doubled down on it. He was asked after the election, would you ever march in a parade? He said, never. Mistake, Jason? Yeah. Yeah, I, I think it was a mistake, and I'll, 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 you know, I've been, I've been, I'm keeping an open mind on Mr. Shear's leadership. I want to see what he comes through in the next six months. I want to see where, where he gets to in front of April, what he's learned, how he proposes to improve, all those kinds of things. I will say, I was a little disappointed in uh, that he didn't take some more time on this, and I think it was, it was completely off key, and it was completely off key for a lot of different reasons. I mean, I like Corey. I, I, I'm a big, I'm a big supporter of, uh, of gay rights, of equal rights, of equal marriage for sure. Um, this isn't just an issue amongst gay people. This is an issue. I got texts from all over Canada over the last couple of days from, you know, people who, conservatives who have gay sons, daughters, all that kind of, you know, people in their family, people, co-workers, all that kind of stuff saying, wait a second, what is this now? It's one thing, and I, I, I agree as well. I think it would be maybe inauthentic or a gay pride parade is not the place for Mr. Shear. The question here, what he has to show is that, um, you know, there's lots of different uh, pride events you can do. There's lots of different ways you can show support for the gay community. Um, and he's got to find a way between now and April to show that because that is the key to winning one of the if, various if, things to winning the next election. If they believe them. Uh, okay, last thing, because I want to yeah. get to the, the leadership question. Yeah, okay. Well, I think, I think it's just, it's not about parades or just doing something. It's actually about the point of view. And I think every yeah. generation has an opportunity to uh, try to, to, to raise the bar on issues of equality, uh, whether it's uh, around uh, racial issues. You know, if you look back to the civil rights movement, for instance, uh, you know, going into that, you had a large swath of the American public that didn't think there should be racial integration in schools, that didn't think you should share uh, a drinking fountain with someone of color uh, or of a different race, right. who thought that you should be at the back of the bus. Those were widely held views in America and then up until they weren't, up until right. they were absolutely third rail, you can't hold You're that view. You're a racist if you hold that view. Right. And I think we've gone through the same shift on, uh, on, on, on gay rights and gay marriage, uh, something that uh, if you go right. back to the Bill Clinton era, right. you had Tipper Gore upset uh, about these kinds of issues and that uh, right. Murphy Brown was having a baby out of wedlock to... Uh, you know, to where we are now, which is you can't turn on the TV so without seeing a gay couple. Okay, uh, so if Sheer doesn't change, that could be a problem. Okay, real quick, because i got a minute here, I'll start with you, Jason. He's going to face a test in November 6th. There's a vote. Yeah. Caucus can actually vote to trigger a leadership review. Uh, I don't know if they will. Then he's got a mandatory leadership review in the spring. What threshold does Sheer have to get to stay on as leader, and will that be difficult to meet, Jason? <laughs> you want me to set it? I'll set it easily. I think he has to do very well. I think he should do as well as Harper did um, uh, after after the last one. I think you need the you need to, to beat Justin Trudeau, who has proven to be a strong brand, who's weathered a lot of storms, and the Liberal brand is very resilient. I think you need a party that is behind the leader, uh, you know, as much as possible, nearly 100%. Not obviously 100% is not the is not the threshold. I think he needs to do as well as Stephen Harper, and he needs to be able to show the leadership or in the membership of the party that he's got a plan right. to win. And I think that's going to 
to be. That's, you know, I, I think we've got to be together. There can't be any Max Berniers. There can't be any, uh, you know, sort of all sorts of win uh, different wings of the party, you know, moving off and unhappy with his leadership. He's got to bring everyone together, and that requires a very strong mandate. I should say, Joe Clark was 70%. It's not 50 plus one. And uh, Stephen Harper got 84% and set the bar at 80%. Does Andrew Shear have a tough time getting 80% of people behind him, Corey? Well, I, I think uh, 80 percent is probably a good uh, it's probably a good number. Uh, that, that was the number that Harper had in uh, in 04 for himself. He got 84. Uh, I think it, it's tough to um, lead the party if you're not in that range. Uh, but, you know, in terms of the caucus vote, uh, you know, uh, with all, all due respect to Michael Chong and others, I, I don't think we should go down the road of uh, uh, unconstitutional uh, deposing so of leaders that's, through, that's, through so caucus. So that's November 6th, but does he have trouble meeting 80% in the spring at the mandatory? Uh, well, I think he, he you know, the, the jury's out on that. I think uh, I've laid out uh, one of the things I think he's, he's got to come around on or he's going to have a big, big problem. Uh, not just with the party, uh, with, uh, with the electorate, should he pass through uh, uh, leadership successfully. It is going to be a tough test. All right, Jason Leader, Ed Corey, tonight, got to leave it there. Thanks, guys. Appreciate Thanks. that. Uh, we will Thanks. be watching what happens on November 6th. That is the first test, and if he passes that test, then, of course, he's got to have the mandatory leadership review in the spring. Coming up next, though, the question of Western alienation. How big a problem is this for Justin Trudeau, and what is he going to do about it? MPs are standing by to debate that next, right here on Question Period. Stay with us. So after the Liberals got shut out of Alberta and Saskatchewan in the recent election, the issue of Western alienation has flared again. Now earlier in the program, you remember Alberta Premier Jason Kenney was here, and he talked about the demands for more pipelines and getting rid of what he calls the no more pipeline legislation of the Liberals, which was their law that makes environmental assessments more rigorous. And to inflame things even further, this past week, the Canadian energy giant in Canada announced it was moving its headquarters from Calgary to the United States. So how does Mr. Trudeau deal Deal with Western alienation? To find out, MPs are joining us now. Jonathan Wilkinson is the Liberal Fisheries Minister, and Peter Julian is the returning MP. They're both in Vancouver, and with me here, uh, the MP elect from Edmonton, is Tim Upple. Great to have all of you with us. I'll, I'll start with you, Mr. Wilkinson. I know you're sitting close to Mr. Julian, so I'll refrain from any coalition jokes here. But uh, um, obviously, uh, Jason Kenney. Uh, was on the program earlier, and he wants a guarantee that the Trans Mountain Pipeline will be built, and that Bill 69, the No More Pipeline Bill, as he calls it, will be redrafted. Will the Liberal government do either of those? Well, I think we've been pretty clear that, uh, that the pipeline has been approved uh, and that it is moving forward, and we intend to ensure that it is built. It is part of an overall transition strategy that involves us focusing very much on achieving where, what we need to achieve with respect to reductions in greenhouse gas emissions and achieving net zero by 2050, but doing so in a manner that recognizes that a transition takes time and that we do need to be sensitive and thoughtful about the economic interests of people who live in, in hydrocarbon producing provinces. So, uh, so we certainly do intend to move that forward. I would say with respect to Bill C-69, which is the revised environmental assessment process, um, irrespective of what Premier Kenny wants to call it, 
Um, it is a process that is intended to ensure that all of the various thoughts and concerns are, are addressed early in the process. It is an improvement on the, uh, the, the environmental assessment process that Stephen Harper gutted in 2012. It ensures that we actually will, in, will have good projects that will be built, but those projects will recognize the interests of communities and of indigenous right. communities. Um, and we will address those, those kinds of issues that people are concerned about early in the process. All right, well, both uh, the Premier, even the Mayor of Calgary thinks it's, it's going to kill any attempt to have a pipeline. But let me just, while we're in Vancouver, I'll stick with you, Mr. Julian. Uh, I understand that the NDP, they hold one of the parties that holds the balance of power. Will the NDP make dropping the Trans Mountain Pipeline a condition to support the Liberals on any bill, or is that one up for grabs? Uh, what we've said, and, and Jagmeet Singh has been very clear on that, the real action on climate change is an absolute priority. Now, uh, building, building the Trans Mountain Pipeline extension basically blows up any opportunity for Canada uh, to meet the, the, the important imperative of climate change, which uh, I, I need, to, need to mention again cost our economy $5 billion this year, and it will be even more next year. So we have to make those, uh, those decisions to combat climate change. One way to do that, instead of investing up to $17 billion in the Trans Mountain Extension, would be to put that money into clean energy. That allows I, 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 energy but hold workers on, but in Alberta and Saskatchewan to transition. Give me a straight answer on the question, transition. Will that be critical? In other words, if the, the Liberals have already said, we want to build this pipeline, will that mean that the NDP can say, okay, we oppose that, but we'll work with you on other things? Or is it Trans Mountain, if you build that, we cannot support you and we're gonna, you're going to have to seek another dance partner? Uh, we are saying that climate change is an imperative. As you know, it's held up by the courts now. So the, the idea that this is simply being uh, green-lighted is, is simply false. Indigenous peoples have taken the government to court. So has the B.C. government. So has local cities like Vancouver and Burnaby. And so what we want to see and what we're pushing the government to do is put in right. place a meaningful plan on climate change. Uh, Mr. Apple, let me bring you in. First of all, would the Conservatives... With, so if, they, if it came to a vote, I know the courts are holding up Trans Mountain, but would Conservatives do support Liberals on any bill that helps build pipelines? Absolutely. I mean, we've been very clear even during the campaign that we want to support the oil and gas sector and the, and the pipeline, of course. But it's more than just the one pipeline. I mean, that pipeline itself has been delayed so much that it's just, you know, it's literally hurting, hurting Canada's economy overall completely destroying Alberta's economy. But it's not just the one pipeline, it's more projects than but that. It's be billions fair, of dollars of investment that, that's left could, Alberta. What could, a, what could a Conservative government have done to increase the speed of Trans Mountain? I mean, really, what you I need mean, to the do. Courts are holding it up. You, you also have to move forward at some point and challenge that. There was a court case where the Liberals didn't even show up to defend themselves, so that caused more delays. You have to show up and you have to say, okay, we've done consultations and it's time to move forward. And if there's a gap in legislation, right. then you bring in legislation to move it forward. The Liberals haven't been doing; they've just been delaying it, and they've completely turned their backs on Alberta, on Saskatchewan, and while the economy has been completely tanking in those provinces. Uh, Mr. Wilkinson, will there be any member from, or any representation in cabinet from either Alberta or Saskatchewan? How will the Prime Minister deal with that? Well, I think it's important that there are voices from Alberta and Saskatchewan that speak to some of the, the most, you know, the issues that are at play in the context of the discussion that's going on in this country around environment and, and energy related issues. Um, one option would be to have representation formally in cabinet, and, and certainly there are different scenarios in which the prime minister could accommodate that. The other, other options are to look for folks who can actually provide uh, significant input, who are um, eminent persons on the prairies, and, and of course there is also, always also the 
the, uh, the, the path forward, which is to look to some of the folks who have significant ties to the, those two prairie provinces. Yeah, Certainly, I, mean, really I am one of those. To listen or not. I, I am one of those. I, I grew up in Saskatchewan. I went to university in Saskatchewan. I worked for the Premier of Saskatchewan. I did intergovernmental affairs for Saskatchewan. And, and while I can't pretend to represent people in Saskatchewan, certainly I am very, very mm -hmm. um, seized with, with some of the issues that people on Jim the prairies are yeah, dealing but right You know what? They had representations there before. And during that time, they brought in the carbon tax. They brought in C69 that's killing our industry, they brought in the tanker ban. So it's not just about having representation, it's about having representation to that actually fair, listens, also, to, well, listens bought, to Westerners. They also spent $4.5 billion dollars and bought a pipeline. But that Mr. hasn't Apple, gone anywhere. Oh, well, I mean, because right? of the courts. There was well, a that, that's, just, that's just false. I mean, come on, let, let's be serious here. I, the, the government has, has moved forward with the pipeline. We actually ended up having to buy the pipeline because of the, the interactions with the Because BC of the government. bills that you brought. Um, and then we the, are moving forward on that. And then I would tell you that Bill C-69, irrespective of what you want to call Bill C-69, it is intended to ensure that we actually can get good projects built in this country, something that the previous government under Mr. Harper not and more I think you were in member of that caucus was not able to do. To leave Alberta. Uh, can I just say one thing? There was I think we'd be remiss if we didn't mention the serious oil spill in Keystone in this past week in the United States and an estimated 1.4 million liters of oil spilled uh, from Keystone in North Dakota. Mr. Apple, this is why people like Peter Julian are, are nervous, the, the, why the Premier of BC are nervous. They see a pipeline like Keystone. It's got one of the largest land spills and leaks. And then they say, now you want to do this in, well, his, his riding. What do you say to the people of BC when they see a spill like well, this? Regardless of that, it's, it's safer than, than rail, right? It's still better than rail. We have to move that product get it out to international uh, markets. And the best way to do that is through a pipeline. A, a, a That's new the answer? Safe There's pipeline. a spill and you say it's safer than No, no, of, of course. I mean, you have to manage that, that spill. There's no doubt about it. But at the end of the day, we, it, we have to be able to sell that product and, 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 and to work with a company to do that, to, get, to, uh, to build that pipeline. Mr. Julian, last word to you. I mean, there are those that will say, I know you oppose the pipeline and you'll seize on every incident to say don't have a pipeline, but is it guys like you that are, and your party that are entrenching a sense of prairie alienation because you just do not understand that you're landlocking one of their economic lifeblood and, 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 it's, and it's your position that is actually enhancing a sense of prairie alienation? Uh, well, first off, I come, I'm one of the only MPs that come from the oil and gas sector. I worked at the Shelburne Oil Refinery in Burnaby, B.C. So I understand the importance of oil and gas. The, the reality is climate change is upon us. We have to start transitioning energy workers, and that means making sure we're, we're making the investments for clean energy. All right, got to leave it there. Thanks to both of you in Vancouver, and Mr. Apple, thanks to you for joining us, and good to see you back here uh, in Ottawa. But when we come back, Quebec wants to put immigrants to the test, but is the province's new values test just government-sanctioned racism or not? The Scrum discusses that with our special guest, Quebec MNA, Christopher Skeet. Stay right here with Question Period. I think it's important that we understand the values and the society where you want to live. Well, Quebec Premier François Legault's government has already faced sharp criticism for its secularization law, which is the law banning public servants from wearing or displaying religious symbols on the job. Federal leaders have called it legislated discrimination, but have basically done nothing about it. Now the CAC party wants to put immigrants to the test, a values test. This week, the Quebec government announced it will impose its Quebec values test on new immigrants starting in the new year. Now the test will ask things like who is legally allowed to marry 
marry in Quebec and whether men and women have equal rights under the law. Newcomers will have to score at least 75% to pass. So is this new test just thinly veiled racism? Is it contrary to Quebec's own charter of rights? Or is it a fair thing for any society to do? And why are federal leaders so timid when it comes to challenging these laws in court? Let's bring in the scrum to find out. Joining us today, Tony McCharles, senior reporter with the Toronto Star. Joyce Napier, CTV's bureau chief. Craig Oliver is CTV's chief political commentator with his wave and our special guest this round. And it's great to see him in Ottawa. Christopher Skeet, the parliamentary assistant to Quebec's premier. Great to see everybody. And Mr. Skeet, welcome to uh, Ottawa. Let me ask you this. Uh, the immigrant test... Um, I spoke to some imams in Quebec. They said it was thinly veiled racism. There already is a test. Anybody who immigrates to Canada, Quebec or elsewhere, they've got to pass. They got to pass a test. They've got to read about the charter. They've got to read about and pass tests about equality. Why the need for a second test on essentially the same stuff? Well, in a lot of ways, Quebec is different from the rest of Canada. We acknowledge that Quebec is a distinct society, and in that regard, we have a distinct test. And it just reinforces some of the values that we consider important in Quebec, like language. For instance, we speak French in, in Quebec. The second thing is we also value secularism and a separation of the state uh, from the church. So these are things that we want to reinforce. But with they're all in the test, just with all due respect. Yeah, they are. Like I'm, I'm looking, I, can, I have the test It's called the rights and responsibilities right. of Canadian citizenship. And they talk and about it includes equality. Yeah. under the law... Uh, is required of Canadian citizens. They have to study it, they have to pass a test on it, and it includes equality of men and women. So, so why I mean, is that what, not what, a thinly veiled racist well, thing either? Uh, so, because it's yeah. Quebec, it's, it's, it's thinly veiled racism, but when Canada does it, it isn't? It's fine. So it's fine. No, so I, I think, don't understand uh, the, the is, distinction uh, between the two. I think well, the Premier is playing to the crowd with a new test when there already is one. Well, I think we have to be careful when we say that. We, it was also an electoral promise. I think Quebecers are expecting us to deliver, deliver deliver on that promise. And at the same token, this is not you know, revolutionary. We said it here, Canada's doing it, other countries are doing it. There's nothing significant here other than the fact that Quebec does control 70% of its immigration. So I think if we're going to have 70% of our own immigration, it's normal that we have our own tests. And I think the question is, what is wrong with asking these questions? That's what I don't understand. These are not, you're not asking questions to Canadians, you're asking questions to people who are coming in. So you, you are saying, is marriage is marriage between a man and a woman between two men between two women yes it, it, i don't see a, i don't okay. see what is wrong with this and why there's thinly veiled racism why do we see racism in this when it has nothing to do with race it has to do with simple fundamental values what's your take on this Todd? well i think that it's interesting that when your government brought in the test it actually dialed back a whole bunch of things that people were afraid it would yes. do uh, it's less values it actually very much does mirror the canadian citizenship yeah. test but i also uh, i agree with joyce in this respect we already recognize quebec has distinct uh, powers over immigration it's a distinct society there i think we all agreed 20, 30 years ago that that was a compromise to bring Quebec closer and into Canada. Um, and if we're going to recognize that, then allowing them to do that kind of a citizenship test seems to me to fall in line with it. Uh, Chris Risky, what a, I think some of the controversy has to do with the fact this is coming hard on the heels of the secularization bill, which all the federal leaders have called legislative discrimination. I know they're doing nothing about it. They're not, they're not promising to challenge it in court. I guess Mr. Trudeau said he may one day do that. But you've got 
Now you've got a secularization bill. You've essentially got another immigration test that looks like it's redundant on the existing one. But okay, I guess I guess if you need that. But what message are you sending when an Amman phones me and tells me I know what this is? They're justifying it with fancy rhetoric from guys like Mr. Skeet, but they're really targeting people like me. And Muslims are feeling increasingly targeted all the time by your government. What do you say to that, Iman? Well, I say that, you know, when you want to come to Quebec, it's important that you understand who we are, where we come from, our unique history. You know, 50 years ago, uh, you know, 100% of our school system was religious, uh, you know, nuns and priests. And then in, in 1997, we abolished, uh, you know, religious school boards. Uh, and now this is the third step. So I, I, I don't buy into that. But, I what, think I mean, but if it was so clear, why do you require the notwithstanding clause? It seems to me, isn't that an implicit admission? Notwithstanding you the know, fact that we're trampling on rights, we're still going to use it. So you've admitted that you're trampling on religious freedoms. What we're saying is, and it's funny that you say that, because the, the notwithstanding clause exists for a reason. It exists so that provinces have the ability to say, hey, you know what, in this particular case, notwithstanding what's written in part two, we believe that this is what our society needs and wants. And you know what, Quebecers voted for it over one, a year one ago. One of the large issues involved here is the way in which we're seeing a sort of breakdown in a national consensus uh, over the whole issue of immigration, uh, and especially Bill 21. I mean, the rest of the country uh, on multiculturalism is in a different league than where Quebec is at under Bill 21, and I think Canadians don't like it. There's, the politicians are afraid to say anything critical about it, and we'll just have to see how the Trudeau... I'm not well, really sure that it. Canadians don't like it. I don't believe that Canadians don't like it. I think that a lot of people look at it, at Bill 21, and think that there's some stuff that you can take and some you can leave. Wasn't there a poll on what Canadians thought about Bill 21? And a lot of Canadians were in favor of, of uh, secularization. So I'm not... I'm not sure that there's a lot of knee-jerk reaction to these to these things, like asking immigrants who are coming in, and these are not refugees; these are immigrants. Economic. That, so these economic, no refugees, work. no. This is they, a they, different ballgame. No, yes, that, but on that, on that I, I want to push back. No one's banning anybody from work. What we're saying is, during your office hours, when you're at work. If you hold a, power, a, a position of power, we're asking you that during your hours of work you remove your religious but clothing. But with all due respect, so you can't, the argument that it's very popular, you know, the whole exist, the existence of the charter is predicated on protecting the rights of no. the minorities, not the, quote, tyranny of majoritarianism. So ushering that in, well, I understand it, the whole purpose of the law is to protect minorities well, from that. Well, you can't have it both ways because the notwithstanding clause is also part of the Constitution and invoking it can't be wrong with that it argument. Notwithstanding clause, let's just be clear. That's an escape clause. That's an escape clause yeah, to get out there. to it's get there. out of to get out of being bound by the charter rights. I do see a difference between Bill 21 and what you're doing on uh, on yes. immigration tests of knowledge for economic immigrants coming into your province. But what you're doing, essentially that law, and let's all admit it, it really does target really people who wear kippahs, who wear hijabs, who wear turbans, who wear kirpans, visible symbols of faith. You can tuck your crucifix away, but you can't tuck away your kippah or other religious oh, garb actually, like that. You're you not allowed to wear the cross either. By the way. Okay, right. just I, I just got ten seconds, but on a larger scale here, Craig. On last comment, does this? We're talking about Quebec with Mr. Skeet here, but does this now 
broaden out across Canada with larger debates about values and immigration in Canada? Well, not only that, it broadens in terms of national consensus. There's no national consensus between Quebec and Ontario uh, on development of resources and environment on that struggle. The, the, the country is losing this sense of one nation that we've always had. And now we, we hear... No, uh, we No, Joyce, we, we hear that before. the Charter does not apply in Quebec. Well... It does well, apply. Well, it, no, does apply. it does apply. But I think what we're okay. seeing here is a, a, a realization that maybe a federation should be a federation and that provinces are equal players. All right. I, I got to leave it there. It's a, it's a fascinating debate yeah. and it's going to resonate. Of course, that's in Quebec. We've talked earlier with Jason Kenney about alienation issues uh, in the West as well. Mr. Skeet, great to have you here. And great you. to see you in uh, Ottawa. The scrum is going to stick around coming up. Justin Trudeau will be swearing in a new cabinet later this month. Will any of his star candidates make the cut? And does anyone get the Boot. We do what we love to do here, speculation on who's in cabinet with the former director of communication to Paul Martin. Scott Reed will join us. Stay right here with Question Period. The Trudeau reboot with a humbling election result, no representation in Alberta and Saskatchewan. Mr. Trudeau has to remake his cabinet, put in some fresh faces, figure out how to deal with Quebec and Prairie anger, and the reemergence of separatism as an issue. How does Justin Trudeau tackle these issues without a voice in the prairies? What new faces will be added? Who's going to be dumped at the cabinet table? Let's bring back the scrum to find out the challenges ahead for Trudeau 2.0. Tony McCharles is back. Joyce Napier is back. Craig Oliver is back. And our special guest for this round is the former director of communications to Paul Martin, uh, Scott Reed. Great to see you back here, Scott. All right. Should uh, First of all, biggest challenge right now from your point of view facing Mr. Trudeau as he's looking at a new cabinet and a minority government? Unquestionably, it's the West. And I say that because it's the issue that is burning most brightly at this moment. Eventually, the electoral math means you've got to look at Quebec and see how do you pick seats back up. But right now, the West is hurting. Right now, you have Premier Kenny on you. Right now, you have Premier Mo on you. And the Prime Minister doesn't have representation. So he's going to have to demonstrate that he himself as Prime Minister is going to take it upon himself to confront that issue, to work on that issue, and to demonstrate goodwill. I think that's the number one challenge, and I think, in fr frankly, in many ways, politically, it's a huge opportunity for yeah, him. But, but even before that, though, I think the Prime Minister has to decide on a strategy about uh, Cabinet. Uh, and I think it should be take no chances. It should be stability. It should be, if you've got ministers who were strong ministers who you know aren't going to let you down, why throw away all that experience? Keep them. Keep them in jobs where you know they're not going to let you down because you're going to be surviving day to day uh, in that minority. Well, look, a minority government, and, and Tonda, we know, people say they can work together, but the Conservatives and the, and the NDP, they'll want to take <coughs> Justin Trudeau down as fast Absolutely. as they can, when they can. Talk about the, we're all speculating here, nobody knows much about cabinet shuffles, but who should be moved? Because I've heard they need to do a refresh, even though, as Craig said, they have to balance it with stability. Mm -hmm. uh, look. I think that I can name a couple of people who I think should be moved who are weak communicators for this government. The finance minister has been a weak communicator yes. for this government, Bill Morneau. I don't know he's going anywhere. They do need stability. Uh, Harjit Sajjan, also a weak communicator in defense. Will he move? I think there might be some possibility there, but I agree with Scott, like the biggest challenge for this government is the West and bridging that divide. Well, well, send Morneau to the Treasury Board. I think actually his board. biggest challenge yeah. is not to think that it's business <laughs> as usual. He is now 
a minority. And I don't know that this prime minister has wrapped his brain around the fact that Canadians have sent him a message, said, you're not so fabulous here, and neither are all the other leaders. So he has to govern differently. He has to be a more collaborative guy. And about the challenges out west, is it a big challenge? It's happened before that there hasn't been representation from you know, either the East or the West in cabinet. It's happening again. And yes, is it a challenge? Yes. Is it an unsurmountable one? I don't think so. Well, look, you can't, it's going to be tough to bring in a senator, Scott, which he's done before, which governments right. have done, which but he's got the independent Senate. But I think what a lot of maybe, maybe the audience has to appreciate, and you've been in a minority government, the thing that's different, as Joy said, is that the Liberals no longer control the committees. And when yes. you no longer that's control right. the committees, your life gets yeah. miserable. Explain why that's so significant for Justin Trudeau. Well, it means you can't move your legislative program through in the same way. So, as an example, you start to think as a government about how you avoid legislative tools as opposed to looking at regulatory tools. What can you do by fiat so that you don't encumber yourself? You also start to shorten the playbook. Politics become complicated. I don't want 100 pieces of legislation going through the House. I want to pick the issues that right. I fight on. Three, four priorities, that's it. And I'll tell you, when it comes to building your cabinet, there are two positions that are going to matter more than anything House else. And from personal experience... House leader, number one, and finance minister. Because yeah. the number yeah. one thing that gets affected is that you no longer have one hand writing the budget. Now the opposition gets a hand on that pen. So it's a big deal. So you got to think about your cabinet construction in a minority government on those two positions in particular. And, and Pick someone at House leader who everybody likes. Mark Gourneau. Who can bring in not Mark, only knows Mark the rules, Gourneau. but... It's a great idea because no one disrespects Garneau. No one doesn't like Garneau. He tells the truth, uh, which is sometimes a handicap smart. in politics. I think probably Dominic Blanc, if he wasn't sick, may, may have got that yes. job, but I don't think Bartosz Chagger stays there. Um, he, now, we just talked about committees, but there's look, the opposition's trying to put a spanner in the works all the time. There is going to be an election for Speaker. Here's something I've heard, and I'll put it to Tonda. <laughs> the idea that Jody Wilson-Raybould could stand for speaker. Remember, people have to stand and they have to get yeah. a vote. Imagine mm -hmm. if she stands for speaker. I've actually called her and asked, would she? She said, well, you know, I haven't really. You know, but imagine with the conservatives and the NDP go, this would be a great speaker. What about that? She didn't rule that out. No. In speaking to you. No. And the, the interesting thing about that is it would be the culmination of her promise to her constituents right. to do politics differently. That's where she would get a chance to do well, it. How different is it? You know, a speaker's but a speaker. The only good thing is different. she could no, tell no. Trudeau to actually, keep quiet and sit down. No, that's, right? that's not true. Actually, the speaker has a lot of power no, to control but, the debate. But in and what she would way have, would it be different? She would, she would be able to uh, refuse the floor to speakers she deemed out of line. Uh, I, th I see sure. that as potentially. I think she would it have... It could weaponize an independent vote. The liberals would burn like an acetylene torch. They would not <laughs> vote for it. And the easy way to disable that is the Prime Minister just... And excuse me for using this name. The Prime Minister just has to go to Andrew Scheer and say, you know, Scott Reid has always wanted to be <laughs> in that position. He's a conservative. Why don't we agree that liberals and conservatives will vote for Scott Reid? And I personally Reed. think that people named Scott Reid ought to be in powers, powerful positions, so I'm up for that. <laughs> and Scott, Scott Reid, just so our audience Scott, knows, Scott, Scott Reid is a well-known conservative MP oh. whose expertise is process yeah. and procedure.
Andrew. Thanks, Scott Reed, and thanks to all of you on the Scrum. Great to have you Thank here. You. Uh, lots to come here. Uh, watch November 6th. There's that first caucus meeting for the Conservatives. We're watching that. And then, of course, Trudeau's got to build that cabinet. And we will be back here to sort it all out in seven short days. Thanks for watching.